Before coming to Convoy of Hope, I had the opportunity uh, to pastor for over 40 years, and, and, and now I have opportunity to travel into many churches throughout the nation, especially in the Northeast. And so, I, I, can I give you some feedback of what I'm feeling here? I don't care if you want it or not, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know, you, you go into a place and you begin to pick up the DNA. And I love to just sense the DNA. And here's what I'm finding here. First of all, this worship is amazing. And, and I want to tell you, that last song about Wipe Me Out, it was just the words are tremendous and the, such excellence here. And it's a danger that when you have this, this, and you keep coming week after week and enjoying this, to begin to take it for granted. Don't ever take for granted what you have here. I've had opportunity to meet with some of your staff, and, and Randy told you I, I've talked with him on and off for a lot in these last months. And, and I want to tell you that, that you need to know that you have a staff of excellence and deep passion for Jesus, and never take them for granted, and make sure you give them rest, make sure you take care of them. Don't ever take for granted that they've heard enough about how good they're doing, because generally one bad word will wipe out 10 things you've heard good about your life. So keep filling them, not, not fluff, but genuine times when God has moved in your life, or they've done something that, is, that has made an impact, and you're grateful for it, if it comes to your mind, write them a note, send them an email, give them a call, and just tell them, because I'm going to tell you that that empowers them to move stronger and further and make sure that they stay in rest and that you make sure that, that they're covered by your prayers, especially by your prayers, because I can tell you that I know the weeks that I prepared for a message, when I knew that people were praying, it was a lot easier to battle through everything you have to battle through to get to a Sunday morning. And so... Please be sure you take care of this staff. You got that? You believe me? If you don't, I'm coming back and you're gonna, I'm going to just ream you out. I'm going to do that. So just, I, I want to I share with you a little story with a very big explosion. It's narrated by a man named John. Some of them called him John the Beloved. He's the one who wrote that book of Revelation that's at the back of your Bible. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of John. And he describes a story of another man named John who is a baptizer who is standing by the Jordan River. And John is standing there with his students that he has been mentoring. And a man walks by and John says this. In, in the old English, it's behold. If it was today, it would be, hey, dude, look, 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 right there. Look. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now they know that's code for the one they've looked for for centuries, the one called the Messiah. They know that the Messiah, whose name literally means anointed, the one set apart to rescue humanity, especially Israel, rescue them from what they have faced, and for them at the moment, what they're facing is Roman occupation. And so, in their minds, what they're looking for is someone who will come in and battle the Romans, and what they're looking for is a first century Liam Neeson. That's who they want. I can tell you that I have a very particular set of skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that will give nightmares to people like you. If you let my people go, that will be the end of it, but if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. 
So those disciples are intrigued, so they follow Jesus. They stalk him, and he sees them, and he turns, and he says to them, sup. That's literally the Greek, sup. It's not. Then they have an opportunity to address this one, the creator of the universe, the Messiah, and you would think they would come up with some profound statement, and what they say to him is this. Where are you staying? And you think, what a lame question. My wife and I have been married almost 43 years now, and then through those years, I've had to learn, I have to be trained, actually, on, on how to interpret the things she says. And if you've been married very long, you understand that. I mean, from the very beginning, you, you began to understand, gentlemen, you that are married, that, that if something's wrong and you say what's wrong and she says nothing, you know what? Something's wrong. If you're about to do something you're not sure she wants you to do and you say, can I do this? And she says, oh, sure, go ahead. You know what that means? Go clean out the garage. So my wife and I can be sitting down for a dinner at a nice restaurant and, and I'll be pouring into my steak and she'll look at me and she'll say these words. How's that taste? That does not mean how does that taste. It means if you love me, you'll give me some. <laughs> so when these guys said to Jesus, where are you staying? He knew exactly what they meant for what they meant was this. Can we come hang out with you? And the creator of the universe says to these men he's never met before, before these men who mean nothing in, in, in the, the strata of importance within the community, he says to them, yeah, come with me, I'll show you my place, we'll hang out together, and they do that for 24 hours. Which just fascinates me, that God in flesh would just say, come on, hang out with me. I grew up in a very conservative, very legalistic setting as I was growing up in church, and so I knew the long list of things we couldn't do. And I wasn't very good at not doing those things we couldn't do. So I always thought that if I, if I ran into Jesus somewhere, he would say to me, oh, it's you. Why don't you go get in the back of the line, figure out how to do this better, and pray that by the time you get to the front of the line, the ticket office will still be open, that you can come in and hang out with me. But instead, he says to all of us, no matter how messed up our lives are, he says, come hang out with me. Because that's how the kingdom operates. That's what, what Pastor Randy said. He said, can you just come out and hang out with, with my friends for a weekend? It's how the kingdom of God operates. In fact, Pastor Randy understands this, that, that God has designed something fantastic when saint and sinner and, and broken and healed and lost and found all gather together because all of us have found ourselves in most of those categories at some time. See, this community that's here is centered in the motivational character of God. And, and what is it that motivates God? What is that motivating character? It is not, I'll hunt down your enemies and kill them. It is not, I'll come after you, find you, and I will hurt you. It is what Paul writes to his friend Titus, and he says these words in Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, 
our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we, may become, we might become heirs according to those who have eternal life. He's saying this. You've got a messed up life. And he said, God shows up in your messed up life. And, and, and all of us, I mean, he, didn't, he said he, he didn't show up because, because you're so good and you're so perfect. How many of you have sinned within the last month? How about the last week? How about in the last couple of days? How many this morning before you got here? Yeah. He didn't show up because he said, look how good Jeremiah's doing this thing. He showed up because Jeremiah messed up. He shows up and he says what he does is that he comes to us with favor. That is an amazing word. That word favor means for someone who is superior to come to someone who is inferior to bend down to their level for the purpose of giving them favor and grace. He said he came to give us favor and then through his Holy Spirit he washed us as Jesus desired it to be. The Holy Spirit washed us and put us on a track where we walk with God and we hang out with God and he says, and there is no vanishing point to that. But what, what is it that, that gets us there? What is it that gets God to move into the middle of my mess, the middle of my trouble? What is that thing? My wife has been wearing a perfume called Angel. I love the fragrance. And, and so I can say, hey, I'm going to meet you at a restaurant. I'll walk in and I'll smell Angel. I go, Pam's here. Pam is here. In the Old Testament, you'll read where the children of Israel are moving toward the promised land and God brings this pillar of cloud that shades them during the day in this desert and at night a pillar of fire to keep them warm and to give them light and they will set up camp and they'll put this tent outside of the camp and this cloud will come down and it'll settle there and everybody moves out of their tents and they look because they know God is here. Psalmist David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And there's this great description of his care. And at the end, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there's this beautiful image of the shepherd who takes the sheep. He puts the lamb on his shoulders so that the lamb will begin to understand the scent of the shepherd. So that at the moments that the lamb may feel threatened or fearful. If the lamb can smell the scent of the shepherd, the, sh the lamb goes, the shepherd's here. I'm okay. And if at any moment a predator begins to attack one of those lambs, he'll begin to smell the scent of the shepherd on that lamb and become reticent to attack because he'll say, the shepherd is here. Today is St. Patrick's Day and the Celtics had this wonderful, wonderful saying. They said that, that heaven and earth are only three feet apart. But there's this place called the thin place that's much shorter. Or suddenly you have an awareness of God. I want to propose to you this morning that the motivational character of God, the thing that moves him in, because, because he said, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, then he saved us. It was this kindness that is the thin place. It is the kindness where God then ushers himself through that moment into the lives of people who suddenly say, God's here. And something wonderful is about to happen. 
So I want to propose to you this morning that in our trouble, kindness rescues us. We all have troubles. Circumstances change. Life was going good and suddenly you got laid off or suddenly you didn't get the scholarship or, or the friends you hang out with decided to turn against you or, or a spouse has gone away from you. Something has shattered you and you're in trouble. It could be those lies that you tell yourself that had their origination in your early years from an authority figure, whether it was a coach or a parent, or a step-parent, or a teacher who told you you're dumb, that you'll never make it, you can't, you can't achieve too much, and, and you continue to tell yourself those lies that you're not good enough? When I was growing up, I was raised by both parents, and, and they're wonderful. In an effort to, to make us boys, I have two brothers and a sister, to make us know what it is to have a good work ethic. He'd give us jobs to do, and then he'd come out and inspect the jobs. And, and generally, in an effort to make us better, he would say, well, that's good the way you did it, but have you ever thought about doing it this way? And I begin to interpret that, that no matter what I did was not good enough. And when you start thinking that way and tell yourself that lie, then the normal parts of failure within your life begin to be filtered through that lie. So in seventh grade, my friends and I all decided that we were going to try out for the basketball team. They all made it and I didn't because I'm not good enough. I learned later I should have practiced. No one told me. <laughs> when I went to college, I fell in love for the first time with a beautiful girl from Long Island, New York. And we dated all year long and we, we were in love. We talked about marriage and I went to Long Island with her for a couple of weeks to meet her parents and everything was great. And I got back home and I got this letter two weeks later that said, nah, and I wasn't good enough. It hurt deeply and it hurt even worse when I went back to the, the, the next semester of college in the fall and, and she arrived and there I saw her and my heart was broken. And then one of my friends began hanging out with her. I said, Ron, what are you doing? What are you, what are you hanging her out with her for? And he said, well, she's hurting too and someone needs to counsel her. Well, he counseled her right to the altar of marriage. Not good enough. I met this blonde who I'm walking across the campus beginning of the year and, and I saw her and I thought, oh, she's, really, she's really cute. And we began to become good friends and for two years we were really good friends and and she was dating a guy, and I thought he was pretty lousy, so I began to counsel her. <laughs> Came back from my senior year in college, and we actually got, she got there early, and she told me about what was going on. I said, you just really need to dump him. So she did, and that night we went out, because I know God's will when I see it. <laughs> and because we knew each other so well before, we realized that we're going to get married, and and so I surprised her on Christmas Day in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I showed up unexpected with a ring in my pocket and pulled her off to a private side, a private room, and I said, will you marry me? And she said yes. And then we went down and, and met her seven siblings and her parents, and we had one huge party at that moment, and everybody's excited, and our parents had already talked. They knew it was going to happen, and everybody is just pumped. And two hours after all the festivities died down, that lie crept up and it said, you know, you're not good enough for her. She's going to figure that out because you can't love her like she loves you and you can't be the, the man that you need to be and, and God would never give you that woman because she is so good and you're not that good. You're, you're just not good enough. 
And so ladies, don't get mad at me, but two hours after I asked her to marry me, I asked for the ring back. Oh, don't gasp. (laughs) And her response to me was this. No. (laughs) In fact, what she said to me was, we're in love. This is going to be great. You're going to be a great husband, a great father, and we're going to serve God together, so just shut up. (laughs) Now, it was the first time that that lie had been confronted, and kindness did it. At age 12, Hal Donaldson and his siblings were at their house with a babysitter and the parents had gone to a church business meeting because they were the pastors so they have to be at the business meeting. And there was a knock at the door a couple hours after they left and there stood a police officer and two police officers and they said, we hate to tell you this but your parents have been hit by a drunk driver and your father has died and your mom is in critical condition we don't know if she's going to make it. So they brought the whole family out and, and, and put them on the porch the kids and, and the neighbors had gathered around and the, and the police said, somebody needs to take these kids for the night because they have nowhere to go and, and nobody volunteered. He said, no, seriously, if you don't, we're going to take them down to the station. We don't know what's going to happen there. Somebody's got to take these kids. And finally, Bill and Levada Davis raised their hands and said, okay, we'll do that. And the reason they were so reticent is because Bill and Levada Davis already had four kids. There's six of them living in a single wide and barely making it. So they took those four kids in for that night and the next night and the next night and the week and the next week and the next week and the month and the next month and the next month for almost a year. The Davises sacrificed their privacy. They drained their savings account. Levada spent most of the day cooking, cleaning, and folding clothes. And and Bill took on extra shifts at the quarry so that they could have enough and they still didn't have enough to make it. And so church friends would begin to bring food and hand-me-down clothing. Hal said he would never forget what kindness did for them because kindness brought hope. In fact, Bill told Hal these amazing words. Don't allow the tragedy of your childhood to become a lifelong excuse because where you start in life doesn't have to dictate where you end. You see, in our trouble, kindness rescues us. And and kindness is more than just a gesture. And and I appreciate the fact that you see someone standing at at, at a corner and they're holding a sign and need food and and you have an energy bar and a drink for them and that's good. But that word kindness goes much deeper than that. That word kindness actually means to spend enough time with that person to understand their story and the complexities that got them there and asking God to give you discernment to be able to figure out how to get them back on their feet again and being willing to use the resources that you have to accomplish it. When Paul wrote that it was kindness and goodness that was the entry for God to come in and rescue us, that word kindness really does mean acting for the good of another. It means to to perform selfless acts. Goodness is the word where we get our word philanthropic. It's from two Greek words, philo and Anthropos, where we get our word anthropology, it simply means this, to to love humanity. It means to serve the welfare of others. 
So what is this culture here? What is the culture of this place? Word of life, what is this culture? What is the culture of those who follow Jesus? Well, Paul described it. He said, these are people who have been bathed in Christ and then pulled into the ongoing work of Christ because you can't separate those. Once you're bathed in Christ, once you're baptized in him, you can't leave his calling in your life. You've got to follow him. And that consists of constant selfless acts for the welfare of other people. It's the culture of the church. It's the scent of God. It's the thin place. This is the place when in kindness to other people, suddenly they say, oh, God is here. I sense God is here. So what do you do, though, if you're in trouble? How do you have time to help someone else and be kind to them? And, and Paul addresses that as he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. He's saying, all around us at this moment, right now, there are people who need the kindness of God so that they can sense that God is here. So we put no obstacle in anyone's way. We don't do anything to stop that from happening so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So what do you do if you have trouble? Paul had trouble. Listen, by great endurance in afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments and riots and labors and sleepless nights and hunger. He's got trouble, but he said, I didn't use that to stop us from being kind. Instead, we did this by purity which means we set ourselves, ourselves aside to follow God wherever he takes us. By knowledge, we recognize that God was in this moment. By purity and knowledge, and then patience, by sticking with the rescue till it's done. And by kindness, because that is the culture of the Jesus community. You see, in our trouble, God calls us to be kind. So Hal worked really hard to become a successful author and journalist, and he found himself interviewing Mother Teresa, and he said it changed his life. For she said, he describes it this way, he said, within minutes of meeting Mother Teresa, she had unknowingly helped set a new course for my life by asking me a simple question. How, what are you doing to help the poor and suffering? Nothing really, I answered honestly, wishing I could have had something better to report. She looked at me kindly and said, everyone can do something, just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. So he came home, loaded up his pickup truck, got his brothers, and they headed out to the migrant workers in California and began to feed them. And that was in 1994, and now on our 25th anniversary, we've been able to serve in the name of Jesus over 100 million people through the local church. And why the local church? Because that is a community of kindness. You just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. Today, all, all over the world, 1.3 billion people are in extreme poverty. What can one person do? Today, 16,000 kids will die because they don't have food or clean water. What can one community do? We all can do something. On this St. Patrick's Day, the Celts are right that there is this moment that the space between heaven and earth becomes a thin place. And it happens within kindness. So could I ask you to stand? And I want to say to you that are here that aren't sure about your relationship with Jesus, 
You're not sure where you stand with God. You're not really good at doing the stuff that they say you can't do and you do it and you wonder what, what God feels about that. He's come to rescue you. He's come at this moment because he is a God of kindness. He has come to set you free. In just a moment, as I pray, I'm gonna invite you to just take your hands and put them this direction as saying, God, I wanna want give up the life that I have and I wanna take the life that you have and I want to enjoy your kindness and your favor. And then these folks that are coming are part of a, a prayer team. If, if you want to talk to them about that relationship with Jesus, come talk to them so they can, can validate what you're feeling. And for the rest of us who've been in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand now. And, and I'm going to ask you just to say to him as I begin to pray, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you that I'm going to be available for the next kind thing that you put in front of me because that's what you've called us to do. Because in doing so, your friends and even that stranger will say, God is in this place. It is how God has designed us. The Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who, who are really searching and they just really want to know what's real and what's truthful. So I ask that you rescue them today. Out of your kindness, you have come not to destroy them, not to rebuke them, and not to hurt them, but you have come to heal them. For no matter how broken our world is, you, the Creator, have come to heal our brokenness. And for us who have said, okay, Jesus, we're going to follow you, you're following you always leads us to the thin place, to the kindness. And I pray a covering over this congregation, this community that carries your motivational character, that they in their kindness this week will see people who will respond to that kindness and say, what is that I feel? And may they bring people into your kingdom as a result of their kindness. So now, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, cover us that we may become what you've designed for us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.